Lampshade Media presents Apocalypse Light, presented by Florida Inbreds, with Natalie Berkey. Natalie Berkey, I'd like to welcome you to Apocalypse Light, presented by Florida Inbreds. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Mel. This is, uh, this is a very interesting time. Um, it sure that's is. For sure. Yes, in this light apocalypse. <laughs> is that, uh, that's Rory's doing, right? Yes, yeah, of, of course, of course, like... You know, he's yeah. A, it, I mean, it would be apox, apocalypse light for him. He's he's living in his parents' basement. You know, <laughs> he's getting taken care of. Right for the throat, man. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> uh, he knows I love him. God, we've watched so many dolphin documentaries together. I, you know, I actually I had heard uh, the name Rory Eustis, but the first time I was like, oh shit, I got to get him on the show was at night with the Berkeys. So that was pretty awesome. cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was like, I think at that night I actually came up to you and I was like, Hey, tell me about Rory. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's one of my favorites. Um, yeah. I selfishly book him so that he has to come down and have brunch with me the next day because I miss him since he moved to Cleveland. Yeah. He's still doing I'm a lot of gigs advantage. and stuff down here though. Well, not anymore. Oh yeah. With the uh, light apocalypse we are now living under. Yes. L-I-T-E. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I'm thankful to Rory for uh, setting me straight on the name and uh, making sure that uh, Lampshade Media Presents is going to have a, a good name going forward. Apocalypse Light, presented by Florida Inbreds. Yeah, I'm not sure where the yeah. Inbreds come in, but... I think it's just Florida in general. <laughs> I mean, and knowing Rory, I mean, he loves... Florida because we both love Disney. Maybe like the animatronics got out and it's like a call to like do androids dream of sheep sort of situation. I don't really know. So this is yeah, this is like some like uh Florida version of Westworld. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh god, that's a good show. You watch Westworld? Of course I watch Westworld. <laughs> Are you up to date? And one episode back. But yeah, Rachel Evans is Bay. I holy love shit her. Have you seen King of California, the movie? No. You should watch that movie. It is fucking brilliant. What's the, what's the deal? It's really weird. It's like an indie film. The girl, it's a girl who lied about her parents when her dad was in a mental hospital and her mom just kind of left her. And then her dad gets out and he's convinced that he's going to find some buried treasure in California and he's convinced that it's underneath a Costco. So they work a heist to try and dig up this buried treasure from a Costco and it's really touching and it's really funny and it's crazy and it's good. So it's Such like a, a tongue in cheek heist in a way. Yeah. It's, it's really weird. Like he's just a really crazy guy and you just think he's fucking bananas the whole time. And, and she has to try and be the parent and it's really, it's a really interesting movie. Huh? I'll have to check that out. You know, it's weird. Like, I haven't been watching movies. I used to watch movies. Right. Not unfrequently. And since, I guess, now I'm just so much more attracted to the TV dramas that are out right now that I, I, I've been 
woefully neglecting the uh, art of cinema. That's fair. I think I've done the same. I mean, honestly, I'm pretty sure I found King of California just walking around Blockbuster and like trying to find a pretty girl on a cover. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So how long ago was this? This movie's old. It's oh, sad. I thought this was a newer one. No, no. I was going to say walking really around a Blockbuster. Good. You know what's funny is uh, I was uh, I was out on the uh, east side doing work, uh, carpenting, making carpentries. In any case, uh, stopped into a little pizza <laughs> joint there, and it was uh, attached to a real ass fucking video store that was still operating. Was it in... Family Video? It sure the fuck was. Yeah, I go there all the time, man. We have one in uh, Whitehall, and there's one in Gahanna. They're still Wait, alive. You go there currently. I go there. I go there like weekly with my son. Are you shitting me? Are you just trying I to love like love getting movies? Are you just trying oh, to like inform them. your inform Rio on what the old people used to do, or like is this some sort of nostalgic <laughs> I think it's trip? Fun. It's fun to go pick out a movie and then have a movie night. It's just not the same if you're like streaming it. I entirely agree. Although I will say I have not had that experience legitimately since the fucking days of the video rental. I haven't seen a video rental since i've cut the cord you know oh yeah and they join up with marco's which is great yeah family video always has a marco's next to it that pizza place is i the think bomb. that's where i went see i grew up in toledo and marco's is from toledo i like oh really yeah my grandma's house is just around the corner from the very first original fucking marco's so i grew up with that jam do you know emerin <laughs> no i what? i don't know emerin you don't or you do? No, I don't. Who, who, who are you talking about? Oh, oh, she's she's like a big she's a she's a big comedy fan. She goes to tons of shows and shit. But <laughs> I thought you dad... were talking about somebody that was like a, a way up uh, person in Marcos. <laughs> oh. we well, no, no, her dad, Marcos. her dad, like I don't know if he started Marcos or oh. if he's like on the board. But like, yeah, yeah, I always like try to drop hints to her that I need like you know a hookup, but she never follows through. <laughs> Uh, Emran, uh, now's your chance. Uh, you know exactly what Natalie wants. Please, Emran, please. Yeah, hook it up. <laughs> I've just been trying to be your friend just to get the pizza. No. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that ain't you. That ain't you. <laughs> no, I, I don't use people. I should. God knows I should, but unfortunately I don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny, like, I think about the way that people collaborate, right? And the way that businesses collaborate. And mm -hmm. I feel like there's just, there's just this natural way that everybody can work together and it helps everybody in the group, you know, we can just, and, and, and there's, there's, there's groups that where this happens, but then I don't know when, as, as the groups get bigger, as the businesses get bigger, it's like everybody's all of a sudden, you know, out for number one, you know what I mean? Well, I'm a Libra <laughs> and um, I think that means a lot when I say this, but I don't see it like that. Okay. I try really hard to look at the world with like rose colored glasses. And I really think that, that people are, are good. And that when, when shit like that happens, it's almost like they just lost touch with each other. I, I don't know. I hate to think that, there's so much awfulness in the world. Obviously, we're seeing a shitload of it now, but we're seeing so much good right now. Oh, yeah, totally. So, so like, I don't know. When I think about, like, corporations or, like, you know, people working together, I just, I don't like to look at ill intent. 
And I usually get blindsided by it because I'm not expecting it. So I guess I'm a bad person to talk about with that. Do you think that you're kind of, you just kind of like avoid seeing it and then it, sh- it kind of smacks you in the face once in a while? I think if I see it, it makes me too fucking mad. So I just try to focus on the parts that I like. Uh, yeah, I get that. I just try to do what I think is right. And then I think that by leading by example, I'll get that back in my life from other people. If I just kind of, I mean, if people work with me and they know what I'm like to work with, how, why would you fuck me? If like, you know, that's what I'm like. So that's, I don't know. That's kind of how I feel. Yeah. In my uh, circle with Lampshade Media and and previously with the other podcast I was doing in the past, I've I've you know met a lot of people, and uh, those relationships have continued, and I still have them, you know, and and there's this yeah. uh, network of people that I can you know call back to, and and we have mutual goals, you know what I mean? We we all want the same thing, and I know that if I'm like on a project where their goals are involved, that I can call them up and be like, Hey, we have the same, uh, goals here. We can can maybe do work together. Right. And yeah, I feel like that is, uh, some sort of, uh, there's some sort of beautiful symmetry and, 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 in that it's like a it's like a nice way of paying it forward like in a very small scale if i if i'm getting booked for a show and i know that i'm not the right person for it or i can't do it like i always recommend a few people that i really like that i think would do a great job it just Mm -hmm. like you want to kind of help out each other and i i don't know that's such a huge part of it yeah this is a bit of a subject change but uh just thinking about the way that uh comics are dealing with uh the the pandemic and everything i i just recently read an article uh, i believe it was in alive with uh that featured dustin and uh nikki winkleman uh nice. dustin meadows and nikki winkleman and they were talking about D- dustin was uh presenting the idea that you know it's okay to take some time and not be funny for a while right but, you know a lot of other people were are are working together and i you know, I'm, I'm, you know, working on some different stuff too, uh, that's adapting to this, uh, the current, uh, you know, climate of social distancing. What do you, like, what do you think about all that? What's your, what's been your take on, on how to work with people, how not to work time off, like all that feeling? Oh, well, I mean, I, I have a lot going on in my life right now. So honestly, I was actually hitting mics a lot more before we got stuck in our houses but I, I feel like there's so much, okay, I'm just really bad with computers and mm, I don't know too. if I can translate funny while also trying to figure out the fuck I'm doing, which maybe just that would be funny. I don't know, but I'm not there yet, but I'm definitely trying to tune into people's stuff and I'm really glad that they're doing it. Yeah. I did laugh a little bit at first. And I'm just like, man, why is everyone having to make an open mic like two days into this quarantine? <laughs> and, and I mean, like, I felt like that was a little excessive, but I see that you know, I get that a lot of people wanted to do a head start that they're like, this is going to be a need. I'm going to fill that need as soon as I can. And that's awesome. And like, uh, Ian Miller with a glass cannon, I think you yeah. have on your show. He's yeah, been definitely. putting out some really fun shit. I've uh, caught, uh, some of the glass cannon shows, the storytelling shows. Yeah. Yeah. I love the storytelling shows. He's so I've watched doing great. Uh, yeah. That those are fantastic. I yep. feel so bad, by the way. Shout out to Ian. I'm sorry that I was drunk and my husband didn't know how to mute the audio because you could hear me like <laughs> wrestling with the dog. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I love that shit. And I think that that's what I want to do right now. You know, I've put out interest to him and some other people that I would love to do 
storytelling game show kind of stuff. I just I feel weird doing stand up while I'm like sitting on my couch in PJs and depressed as shit. <laughs> like no one no one thinks I'm funny right now, especially not me. Well, by uh I'll be revealing the magic of podcasting by saying that by the time this is released, uh Lambshade Media will be producing a game show, live stream show. Yes. And uh yeah, we'd definitely uh definitely love to have you on there. So we'll... Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> Absolutely. As say in uh tons of those i mean there's like quiz box nikki's doing some cool shit oh and i totally i totally agree with dustin like it's an excellent time to just let your life implode a little think a little write a little and not put the pressure on yourself to be putting out content because like there's a lot of shit going on for everyone and like yep i mean (laughs) it's a lot of us just it's just a lot to be on all the time and i think it's good that a lot of us are getting this rest that we wouldn't normally have had well i think that there's a lot of entertainers uh whether it be musicians or comics or whatever and let's go ahead and throw in service people in that like like bartenders and waiters waitresses and whatnot but there's a lot of people out there that get their money uh or at least a portion of their money from entertaining you know and and yeah it's definitely fair the comedy community you know, even I, I think there's like a whole spectrum in the comedy community as, as there is any other entertainment community of amateurs to professionals, you know. But uh, even if you're not making all your money from comedy, it's still such a huge part of your life. Right. Right. And the funny thing that I've noticed is like the people that I know make more money from doing comedy. A lot of them don't seem to be pushing as hard for content it seems almost like the people that just love it Mm -hmm. like a lot of people who just go to mics or even i honestly feel like a lot of people are taking advantage of it that haven't gotten to go out in a long time because all of a sudden it's coming to them and they don't have to they don't have to make the time to go out and take all the effort and it's just like this beautiful new way to socialize and i i think that's really cool too because i know like when i had my son and when he was a baby it was hard for me to get out and like even now i have to find childcare and juggle a lot of shit just to go to a show mm-hmm. and i can just join and watch whatever show i want and he can just sit and play a different game while i'm watching a show i've been able to attend way more than i ever used to and i'm really enjoying watching other people's stuff right now i think that that's just kind of where i'm at yeah on that vein i've been very curious to think of what will happen, say, once the stay-at-home restrictions are lifted. Because uh, now we'll have this whole new system that we've all adapted to, and some of us might like it better. I I would be very happy with a permanent online mic or some people doing a show. I could see a lot of people doing both, where they have the technology set up where they broadcast their show online and you can join for a fee maybe or a donation and then they also yeah. have live audience. Um, I think the marrying of those two would be really great because yeah. like, I know, I know some of my favorites to go to are a lot of the ones that um, Nick used to put on a backstage bistro and I could never go cause it was way too early and I couldn't get a sitter. And if they had a live audience and then I could watch it at home too and donate, I would love that. So I, I'm excited to see that. I know for my show and even with the Berkey's, I am not technological. <laughs> I'm not te- oh, Jesus. I'm not tech savvy <laughs> I'm enough not to figure out how to do that. Yeah, I'm not technological. <laughs> Jesus. 
but like i know a lot of people that are and i should like we were talking about working with other people i yeah. should lean on them and i should use their services i know oh um, sure like jay coax does great video and audio i could maybe try nice. to him up to try and figure something out so i think it would be really cool to offer it in multiple ways yeah especially if you have like we have a small room so then if we could get more people involved than we currently have like why wouldn't you want that right and i think it's comparable to uh say ordering takeout instead of going to the restaurant you could literally get a takeout version of local comedy or something right you know i'm what such I mean? a snob <laughs> you say that i'm just like ah takeout no, well just, sometimes you want to stay that, at like, home it's like a sacred thing to go to a restaurant and it's like a sacred thing to go to see a Broadway uh -huh. show or Did to I go to see a symphony. Uh, I, I don't know. I definitely get the resistance to a lot of that, but now that we've had to do it and it's been our only option, I am seeing a lot more positives to a lot of them. Yeah. Um, I still, as soon as I can go out to a restaurant, I'm bringing my fucking four-year-old to like a nice five-star Cameron Mitchell and he's going to be an asshole. And I don't care yeah. <laughs> because I belong there and I want <laughs> a really nice fish dinner. So do you, uh, do you ever try like uh, some of the crazy ethnic food that we have in this city as far as being a restaurant lover? I guess. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that. I think that okay. I've tried a lot of different ethnic foods. I don't like Indian food is one of my favorite foods, but I'm oh so God, Americanized yeah. that I'm like, how can I even call that? We love, I love sushi. Um, yeah. It's not I also as bad see as that like Chinese. pretty Americanized. Yeah. <laughs> Chinese is like it's the a, most Americanized ethnic food, right? Right. Well, Italian, like shit like that. Exactly. But yeah. I mean, I am Hispanic. So I am um, like, there are some Chilean restaurants that are oh. really good. Oh, tell me, tell me. Um, uh, have you been to a sidebar? I think they're Chilean. Wait, is that downtown? Yeah, it's right by the Mikey's on 4th Street. Yeah, no, I've been there way back. I I don't re I didn't remember that being Chilean. Uh, yeah, I think the owners are from Chile. It was like um, super I'm pretty fancy. sure. I'm probably wrong. I'm probably wrong. Yeah, it was really <laughs> fancy, I remember. No, they they have some pretty unique takes on some dishes that are really good. Was it called Lolly Bella? I had a friend take me to Lolly Bella. It's Hmm, I haven't heard of that. Somalian. Thank yeah, you. oh yeah, yeah. That was really good. Uh the meat was amazing. Lots of different like stews and curries. Yeah. Like Somalian and Ethiopian is kind of uh it, it's kind of akin to uh some Indian dishes uh in in that it's a yeah. rice rice and sauce uh Long just with stews some different that flavors. Cook for, like a really long time. Yeah. Like lots of love put into them. I mean like I I cook I probably like at least 50% of the stuff I make at home is like quote unquote Mexican. So like, I mean, I make tamales for Christmas every year Yeah. and people like my rum cakes. It's like a Panamanian recipe. Did you grow up with that in your family? Not enough. <laughs> I'm originally from California, but when we moved out here, I kind of lost a lot of touch with my Hispanic family. Oh, really? And my dad grew up in the generation where his parents didn't want to teach their children Spanish because they didn't want them to have trouble uh, um, yeah. fitting in and being like citizens mm -hmm. and stuff, especially in Southern California. That assimilation um, mindset. Right. Right. Like my, my maiden name is Cuevas means caves in Spanish. Okay. And then my, f my grandmother's family is the Contreras. So I, when I get to see them and the more I get to spend time with them, they, they enlighten me to a lot of the traditions I've missed out on oh, and try wow. to fill me in. So that's really, I love that. Like a huge goal of mine since I moved here when I was fucking like five years old 
was to get back to Southern California and be with my family. So I, um, I'm still working on it. Got a bunch of applications just frozen out there because of the hiring freeze and the oh, COVID. Wow. But um, fingers crossed, I might just sell my house and make the move. We'll see. Your parents moved to Ohio and brought you with them when you were four or five then? Yeah, my dad, uh, he worked for a tech company um, right when that was a new thing. Um, so when we moved out here in the early 90s, I can't remember who he was working for at the time, but then he was working for CompuServe and then AOL bought CompuServe and he mm. did a lot of computer programming shit. So they like gave him a hell of a deal to come out here. Like we were living in kind of like, it was it's called Menifee. It's out in the desert, a little ways from L.A. Okay. And this was just like a huge opportunity to like, I mean, they paid for him to move. They gave him like a shitload of money, way more than we would have ever had in, in California. Yeah. I don't, I'm not surprised you did it. My mom, she tells me she's like for two years, she cried every day because she didn't want to leave. And like yeah. she spends half the year back in Cali now with our family. Really? Half the year? Well, she, yeah, she retired, so she goes back uh, for about five months and just lives out there with her parents and her sister. She's actually dating a guy. Oh, yeah? She's been with him, like, I think two, maybe two years after my dad died, she started dating him, and she's still with him. Oh, um, nice. And he is my old drug dealer slash friend from high school's dad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, those are some good connects. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, you're dating Ryan's dad? I remember we were like in speech class one day and we just looked at each other. We're like, our parents are dating, aren't they? Like, yeah. It's like, all right, let's go get stoned on lunch break. <laughs> high school. What were you like in like, high school? Yeah. Who'd you hang out with? Uh, what was your scene? Give me the whole I think technical I need to thing. Pref I need to preface this with. I have borderline personality disorder and I have a lot of problems and my dad died and I came out as gay when I was 12. Oh my so gosh. Okay. So that's a I lot had all a at once. hell of a time growing up. I felt really isolated a lot. I always describe it like this. There's an episode of 30 Rock where Tina Fey goes back to her high school reunion and she brings Jack because she can't wait to show everyone like how successful she is because they all teased her and were mean to her and stuff. Mm -hmm. And when she gets there, they're all like, oh, shit, we hated you. You were so mean to us. You are awful to us. And I think I feel that way a lot. <laughs> I'm like, mm -hmm. I think I was just fucking mean to everyone because I thought everyone hated me but they didn't so i anyways i was in a lot of like ap courses and a lot of smart kid shit and like art stuff but i bounced around a lot i never really had a solid friend group but i was friends with a lot of people i just kind of did stuff on my own I, oh god who was i talked to i was talking to kelsey the other day i think my favorite story from high school is that i was in ap art and so i had access to the supply room it's like a closet and i would take chicks and fuck them in the supply room no shit <laughs> yes it's like i was one of the only people that was like openly gay at that age so like i had a lot of girls who were like exploring their sexuality who would like come oh, to me and like shit. like want to talk to me and be like oh yeah let me help you <laughs> like, let's figure this out together i was such a dog <laughs> so were you like out uh as a as a bi person as an early teenager then 
I came out as bi when I got out of sixth grade and was heading into middle school. Wow. Yeah, that's really early. And the the coming out wasn't like a a huge thing or was that a huge like turning point at that age? I think that I did come out that early because um, my parents tried to push religion a lot on me. And I was very adamant that I didn't feel comfortable with it. So I told my parents I was gay. I was bi when I was 12. And they were pretty cool about it. Um, like my dad told me, he didn't care who I loved so long as they were smart and that I that they deserved me. <laughs> He's so sweet. Uh-huh. My mom was just, I think my mom was never totally cool with it, but she was like, I love you. I'm trying to figure this out. And then, um, yeah. but the thing that really got them is I think like a couple months later, I told them I didn't believe in God. <laughs> and um, Ouch, I yeah. came home, I came home from school and they're sitting in the living room with my fucking pastor. <laughs> I, um, I was a really angsty kid. I, uh, I told him to go fuck himself Ooh. and I went up to my bedroom and I have been in trouble with that until the day my dad died. <laughs> wow. So that was a big fuck fucking, <laughs> that was a big moment in your life then, wasn't it? Yeah. I definitely have a lot of feelings about religion. Yeah. Well, me too. Yeah. And I don't hate it. Like I definitely, and I do do things like with religious groups and I think there's good to it. And I, you know, sometimes I'm sad. Like I wish I had religion cause I think it would make losing loved ones easier. Yeah. Like, you especially know my dad and then yep. my aunt, but I just don't, I don't. And yeah. I just, do you consider yourself know. an atheist? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that I have a little bit of spiritualism. I mean, I, I think that I'm just more of a scientist than anything. And so I want things to be very logical. So I, I do kind of believe in like spirits and things like that, which probably goes completely against what I just said. But to me, yeah, it's logical. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like I've had experiences, <laughs> but yeah. um, I don't I don't really believe in like so much of an afterlife. I wish I did. Um, I think it's something I still struggle with. But as far as clinging to anything, I definitely I consider myself an atheist. I think that people don't allow for enough overlap between spiritualism and materialism. And I know that sounds ridiculous up front, but there's just so much we don't know about how our brains work. I think everything makes sense at some point, but it doesn't have to make sense to us right now. You know what I mean? But there's a reason why things work the way they do, you know? Wouldn't it be terrifying if we did know everything? Like, wouldn't that just be so scary? And like, yeah, I don't think we ever will. Do you think we ever will? No, no, we won't. And and we never should. We couldn't handle it. You can't handle the truth. (laughs) We can't (laughs) talk about nihilism. Like, we don't even know what the truth is. We can't even define the truth. Like, really, you know what I mean? We can. We can barely think outside of our th- solar system, and we don't even know our solar system. We can't even understand our oceans. Like, right. how the fuck are we supposed to understand an afterlife or the extent of our thought capabilities or alternate universes or any of that kind of shit? Like, yeah, we. D- it's just better. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not taking the fucking pill. I'm gonna live in my matrix. <laughs> like, it's good for my mental health. <laughs> 
Yeah, I do have to step back from the news and shit like that. I still like listen to my updates and I get my uh, my information from uh, sources I trust, but I don't like go overboard with it anymore because I do need to separate myself from that because there's only so much I can do as a as a fucking person, you know? Oh, absolutely. And when you try to think so globally and care about everyone, especially as, as an empath, like you can't handle just hearing all the people that are dying for various reasons and all the people that need help. It's like you can only do so much. So I do appreciate like the, the kind of local community movements. I know like the degree even I went to school for, like I, I did environmental science and like wildlife. Like I just, I need to be very grounded or I'm going to loop off into like terror. Yeah. <laughs> Madness. Do you think there's a science uh, behind things like meditation and that, kind of uh form of spiritualism Ooh, that's cool i guess i haven't thought a whole lot about it i actually have always wanted to do it i've been trying to do it more i do like pr try to practice mindfulness i actually when i gave birth to my son i did it without medication oh damn because i'm afraid of needles and i'm afraid of being paralyzed and when you have an epidural you can't move around it like mm. pretty much paralyzes your your back you're more um, afraid of that than shitting out a fucking watermelon than i don't know man <laughs> i i walked i walked like the whole time i was in labor but but anyways because of that so i um i did hypnobirthing which oh, damn, they believe you can put yourself into like a state of hypnosis and that yeah. you don't feel it while you're giving birth okay. and you can like frame it however you want. It's bullshit. It I mean, maybe some people can do it, but I can't, but um, so you, I pretty much just suffered it? in silence. Oh, <laughs> you, you were attempting to do it even while giving birth and it, you knew it wasn't working. Yeah. Oh no. I was like, this isn't, this isn't a thing for me. I mean, the relaxation helps me sleep. I mean, you have to believe it. With right. I mean, I definitely I see like I see health benefits to meditation and stuff like that. And I see mental health and physical health benefits to it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not a spiritual person, so it's hard for me to be like, oh, there's a big spiritual benefit to it. But I can tell that people get it. So that's great. Yeah. But like for me, I don't. But yeah, I definitely do see like realistic like I mean, there's scientific data about how it helps with your health and your mental state. So it's obviously there's some good to it. A lot of good to it. I, I realized at some point, cause I was, you know, uh, this fundamentalist type person growing up and we had the whole praise and worship and the whole, like, and it was an incredibly spiritual, uh, belief system and worldview. Oh yeah. And, uh, I realized uh, later on after, you know, I, I learned a lot about science and, and how the brain works and things like that that uh, a lot of this was uh, self-suggestion, you know, and that I was presenting a uh, idea to myself uh, as if it were from a person with more authority than myself, you know? That's um, interesting. Yeah, and, and I think that there was a lot of actual real power in that, um, but I was attributing that to something that wasn't actually the source. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I see that. Like a higher power in yeah the... like the sun wasn't rising because uh you know the cave people fucking danced a certain way it was rising because it was going to rise you know right and these same spiritual feelings that i had were very real but they weren't necessarily explained by what i thought they were 
Oh, absolutely. And and I think a cool thing about them is kind of one explains the other. It's almost like a chicken and an egg situation where like a lot of the biblical, like if you're talking Christianity or um, like even ancient Greek, like gods and stuff like that, they, they all relate to natural things we experience, natural phenomena. They all kind of explain those things. So, I mean, it's easy to think that one happens because of the other or to kind of blend them together, especially when you're taught as a child. Yeah. I can see that. Absolutely. What denomination were you? I was always strictly non-denominational. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I was. We, a, were, we were Lutherans, so we were like Catholic light. Yeah, right. I was always a bit uh, on the radical side. We had this weird mix of, you know, everything from some Pentecostal uh, ideas to Southern Baptist ideas and all these different kind of, uh, you know, yeah, that's sources. wild. That's a yeah. jump. <laughs> I mean, we never like we never had like where you had to speak in tongues, but speaking in tongues was like a regular feature of a Sunday service. You know, um, that's so cool. Point. I mean, that's that's a cool thing about religious though is that like I kind of like that it's like a buffet. Like I feel like a lot of it's like pick and choose what you like. Yeah. And I guess I appreciate, you know, your, what you grew up with. Cause it's like, Hey, like, you know, they took what they liked, yeah, what made sense to them. And they all cool. use the same source material to, uh, defend it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I don't know. Mine was so like bland. It was so like open the book, sing this hymn. Here's the gospel. Um, you know, it was just, uh, I remember laughing every time we were in church when people would sing S's or say S's because it just, um, it made their voices sound funny and it just kind of like, it sounded like everyone had a slur and um, that kept me going. <laughs> <laughs> that, and I knew I'd get belted if I was bad. So I just sat there and listened to the word of God. <laughs> I, uh, I, Definitely have a lot of memories of different ways of passing the time during uh, services as a child and different techniques I would employ in to uh, entertain <laughs> myself during a service. But uh, at some point, I began to take them as seriously as a college lecture, you know, where I would be taking notes right. and then Ooh, talking wow, yeah. with people later in the week about that service and stuff. And it was all kind of a deal. I've never been that great of a student, though, so I don't think I was the best at it. <laughs> can you be good at religion though i mean like religious history or study sure but like actually practicing it like i don't think you have to be like a good student to be good at religion in fact i think people that are bad students are probably better at it because they can think for themselves right is that kind of i definitely like or is that just like philosophy <laughs> I, it, I think it is philosophy and i think it's uh, man, it's so interesting to me the fact that I lost my religion and other people that I grew up with didn't and why. Because it was well, just a, crazy. It's a specific path that took me out of a certain bubble and out of maybe a couple different uh, uh, loops, you know, that I was in mm -hmm. um, that made me think about things differently for a certain amount of time that was just enough to present ideas into my skull that I would have never accepted had I had none of that happened. Right. Right. No, I really, I mean, I, last time we talked, I know we talked about that quite a bit, kind of like the transformation and the scenes you were in and like yeah. the kind of people you knew. This is the biggest problem ideals. with me. I just keep bringing it back to religion. 
because <laughs> that's oh, my. Trauma. I mean, it's it's clearly an important. It's like an important part of your life. What's that thing for you? Uh, nature and animals and oh, yeah. plants. I'm very. I mean, that's how I ground myself. Like I, and it makes me so sad that we're just fucking ruining this planet. <laughs> Holy but, shit! You know? you know, it is so. Uh, it is so fucking terrifying. I've been listening to enough uh, NPR to to understand some of the problems. <laughs> Jesus yeah, Christ. I listen to I listen to NPR like constantly. It's it's my it's my news source. That's I don't really yeah. like to listen to any other news. But I appreciate um, NPR a lot. Yeah, it's it's not good. Like um, I I remember telling you last time I got into grad school too. Um, I was gonna do a study on urban ticks and Lyme disease. Oh yeah, the prevalence of it because we're expecting to see a whole lot more because of climate change, especially like this year is going to be bad because we didn't really have much of a winter. So um, all those bugs, you know, not many of them died over winter. Those eggs all are all going to make it. And ticks and Lyme disease are just going to be spreading like crazy. So I was going to be studying Lyme disease ticks on deer and birds, mostly like robins in urban parks. Wow. So... Yeah, I'm really interested in in how that kind of shit, nature and stuff, works with people and people work with nature. The jobs I applied for out in California, I'm waiting to hear about are environmental science jobs. So we'll see about that. No, I've always, when I feel bad, if I just go on a really long walk and just go and enjoy the woods or something, I like to take my dogs out. I love bird watching. I love gardening and planting and I've done projects where we've like planted native plants and ripped out invasive species. That's always fun. So I just, I'm like a down, like I'm really down to earth. I like fucking with the environment around me and trying to make things better if I can. Yeah. There's no money in it. (laughs) I'm going to be poor my whole life. (laughs) It makes me happy. And I feel like I'm at least doing something. Unfortunately, passion doesn't always line up with, uh, with financial gain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My uh, my backup plan, uh, the jobs that I've all been applying for and hearing more about, have all been lab animal science or lab assistant, lab tech kind of positions, which I do enjoy the medical field and stuff like that. But it's definitely not my passion. I feel like there's an image to scientists that work in a lab versus scientists that work in the field. Is that kind of the oh. thing? Oh, absolutely. The two don't really cross very much, especially yeah. especially in the school that I went to was fishery, forestry, wildlife was my degree. And those people, I feel like they have a hard time getting along with geneticists and things like that, especially <laughs> from talking with, like I talked with some vets, the school who were doing communicable diseases and stuff like that. And they said like, oh man, it's so hard to work with those other people. Like they're so by the book, like this is how you deal with something outside. And it's like, I think it's really, really important that those two worlds intersect more than they do now. Yeah. I think a lot of um, environmental scientists might scoff at the idea of a lab experiment because it's so controlled because you basically control the environment and the factors and everything. And you're just manipulating like one little thing or two little things. Whereas if you're in the wild, you can barely even call it an experiment because Mm -hmm. it's almost never replicatable. And, you know, you never know what you're fucking dealing with. And it's like a completely different, almost observational sort of situation. But I think it's so important that you take those observations 
emotions and those things you're experiencing on the field. And then you marry it with some actual hardcore lab situations so that you can kind of figure out a lot more, especially with diseases. I mean, it brings me to like the, like the COVID stuff. It's so interesting. It's so interesting to like figure out where everything came from. And there's so many diseases like Lyme disease that are human animal spread that I think you need both. You need to go do the dirty work out in the field. And then you also need to figure out how to translate that into lab experiments. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, diversity is always that challenge where we need people that aren't like us and and we don't like that we need people that aren't like us, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, well, no, totally. And, and you might not see the value in something someone else is doing, not in the same way, or you might be like, oh, that's not how we do it. But you really, I remember when I, when I was an undergrad recently, while in the fisheries, forestry, wildlife major, I got a job with the OSU University Lab Animal Research or Resources. So I was working with lab animals and helping with lab experiments and surgery and stuff. I remember my uh, counselor, my academic advisor was just like, why are you doing that? Like, that's not going to help you get a job with Fish and Wildlife Service. That's not going to help you with any of these agencies. Like that's not going to give you any experience with environmental science. And I'm like, because it's really fucking cool. It's really interesting. And like the two of those things go hand in hand. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Mm. Like if I know how to dissect a, a pig, or perform surgery on this animal then like how can that possibly not help me understand more about the functioning of the animals that i'm going to be dealing with in the wild like i just don't get it like yeah. we talk about deer the wasting disease they have where um they basically get this i think it's a virus and they aren't able to eat or put on any weight or, or keep anything on and they, they're basically like zombie deer and they just infect each other and it's becoming a huge problem Wow. And we as people still don't even know if it's safe to eat those deer. They might be infected. So like people oh are hunting and, and they're eating this meat across the country that they don't even know if it's safe. And it could be and like mad cow disease kind of situation. Right. It could be something crazy because they haven't found anything like right away, <laughs> but like they haven't done a whole lot of research on it either. So like, you know, and I think a big part of it is that a lot of the fun, most of the funding that the Fish and Wildlife Service and huh. state departments get is from hunting and deer season is the vast majority of that money is tagging bucks. And if they tell people all of a sudden, hey, you can't eat deer meat, then they're going to be like, hey, we don't have a wildlife service anymore because we can't fund it because the government doesn't value it. So I could see that being a part of it. It's not currently in Ohio. I think that there might be a couple of cases on the edge, but they are expecting it to get here soon enough. But yeah, the it's it's a big deal. It's pretty interesting stuff. I've only heard a little bit about that, but now all of a sudden I'm thinking like could this explain the rampant Trump support on that side of things? Like they're all just like zombified by this fucking deer eating disease. <laughs> It's not the fluoride in the water. It's the fucking zombie in the deer. I, I'm <laughs> there just, you go. There you go. There's your name for your show. <laughs> I'm just throwing out a hypothesis, you know, like that's all I can do. You tell Trump's me apocalypse. It's a bad idea. Edition. <laughs> what's the, what, 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 what's the, what's the name? <laughs> Cause apocalypse light apparently wasn't good enough. No, no. I think I think we need to be talking about the zombie apocalypse that's coming via the deer. You know what? What if everything was a zombie except for people? Wouldn't that be fucking crazy? 
Like people were the only things that were like we're the only things that aren't affected by it, but we're just living in this madness where like nature is just killing itself. Oh god, <laughs> that would be so awful. That's a zombie caterpillar, son. Back off. <laughs> My squirrels are fucking crazy out there. They're just ripping <laughs> each other apart. <laughs> And to explain so much to my son today. <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of no shit, though. Th- this shit has been making me think about uh, all of my favorite zombie apocalypse movies and, and, and content because just driving to work has been like I imagined it would be in the zombie apocalypse. Like, I'm just flying yeah, to work because I'm, I'm considered essential because I'm in construction, so I still got to fucking go out and risk other people's Ugh, dude, lives with my job, germs so. but everyone's got their own poison at this point yeah but no i'm like just like cruising on to work like ah, i can get across town in 15 minutes you know it's like the zombie apocalypse you know obviously as long as i don't hit a fucking horde you know i've been reading like an excessive amount because i just like i just recently graduated so i don't have to do any school work and i'm stuck in my house and i can't watch too much fucking reality tv because i'll die so i've been reading and my 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 book of choice has always been the um, post-apocalyptic novel. So I literally bought like eight of oh, them, yeah. of that genre when this shit hit the fan. And I'm like, let's buckle up. And yeah. I will say that it puts me in a really fucked up headspace. So I have to like go and do something more normal. So I'm like, hey, it's not that bad. This isn't that bad. Like we were controlling <laughs> uh... this. But I just read um, The Girl with All the Gifts. I don't know if you oh, read that one. Oh, yeah, that was really good. That one was really good. I was the first, the only zombie book or movie I've ever read yeah. where it wasn't a virus, it was a fungus. Yeah. And that makes so much more sense. I watched the uh I watched the movie first and then I went and read it and made- holy <laughs> shit. It was really good. When did the movie come out? I didn't know they made a movie. Yeah, oh shit. I think it might have had a different name, but yeah, I, I definitely remember oh, seeing the up. movie first. And oh, then finding shit. out, yeah, um, about it. But th- yeah, there is a movie. I'm God. I feel like I would. Oh, I, I will find. Feel that. so bad if yeah, that if book I was, was incredible. <laughs> but yeah, actually, uh, that's what I on that topic. I wanted to bring up. I am Legend, the book, the original Ooh. book. Have you read that? I haven't read the book. I've seen the movie. The movie don't, haunts me to this don't day. Don't even worry about the movie. Like the book is a completely different fucking attitude, like altogether. Well, I heard that the I heard that the ending and the trajectory of it was very different in the book. The book is way more interesting as an observation on humanity and morality. The That's movie fun. the movie is just like Oh, it's scary. (laughs) It's scary, right? Like, oh, these things are about this world are scary. Whereas, like, all of that's true in the original book, but it's also like this amazing observation on what it means to be, you know, uh, moral in nature. You know what I mean? Check that out. Honestly, the way that the girl with all the gifts ends in the book, like, I couldn't have thought of a better ending. Like, I didn't see it coming. I, I've never been so satisfied by the way a book ends. Yeah. Like. Usually I'm okay with it being vague because I would rather it be vague than they spell everything out for me and ruin it. But this was like, it was fucking poetry. It's just like, oh my God, this is so perfect. Yeah, I I want people to read it just so they can read the way that it got wrapped up because holy mm. shit, that was art. Yeah. No. That's oh, it's so exciting when an idea is presented so coherently, right? Uh, right. Yeah, no, it was, that was, that was good. That was good. I love, I fucking love books. I just started reading, um, I'm, I'm 
I'm as smart as I like to say that I am, I'm dumb. I think it's Parable of the Sower by um, Octavia Butler. Okay. So I just started that one, but um, I do, I read Kindred by her. She does a lot of really, really interesting um, takes on race and civil rights. Okay. So is it like, like a, like a social commentary like book or is there a, uh, like a narrative that is being commented on? I think on? it's based, sorry, my son's giving me a hug. Aww. <laughs> I love you. I'll Hi, be on in a minute, okay? Um, it's based on, um, I think the year's set to like 2020. I want to say she wrote it in the eighties, but I'm probably wrong. I've just started reading the foreword was great for this edition. So that was the only thing I've really gone through, but um, <laughs> basically I felt like just started it, just started it. So climate yeah, change, um, it's like climate change is fucking the ruin in the world. Um, it's like a social commentary and it's talks about like, you know, how the, the economies ruin the world. Um, it's actually insanely relevant <laughs> to the way our world is now. And um, a huge part of it is um, that like racial injustice and like that kind of shit plays a really big role in it. And the fact that that kind yeah. of spiked back up, um, the forward was very interesting because the woman talked about reading the book three times in her life. She read it in her twenties when she was, um, in grad school. And she said, it just wasn't relevant. She said the sci-fi at the time was, you know, shiny and spacey and, you know, robots were killing people and it wasn't society that was crumbling because of a shitty leader and racism. And, um, and she said that when she read it most recently in 2018, I think that it was like, holy shit, <laughs> like, this is like what's happening now. So I'm really excited to get into it. Yeah. Octavia Butler is an absolutely amazing person from everything I've read about her. Yeah. There's something about sci-fi that is, it's so amazing for people to give that kind of like prophetic, uh, image of what the world could be and uh you know there's these certain sci-fi books that or or uh concepts that just are able to just nail so many of those ideas oh yeah it's, it's like eerie kind of a it's chicken like, or the egg you know? <laughs> right like the fact like like uh i think that uh obviously uh, uh star trek is one of these where so many ideas from star trek uh have been made relevant to everyday life now i'm a bad nerd i never got into star trek i like star wars i'm not Hey, I'm sitting underneath of uh, of uh, Jean-Luc Picard right now as we speak. <laughs> See, I've got three but... huge Legolas posters behind me, so um, <laughs> I was a little more into the fantasy, uh, you know, elfdom yeah. back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jean-Luc is not my, that is not my poster. That's a Tyson addition to the studio that I, I just, you know, since I have no... Uh, spiritual leader, I said, well, fuck it. <laughs> that's awesome. Too. You know what I mean? I'll tell. Yeah, that's a, I'll look up to him. You know, he seemed to have good ideas. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. The, I guess like when I think of Star Trek, I, as a person that's not a super fan, though, I think of ideas like the, uh, that hum humans have uh, kind of come to terms with uh, so many of the different social problems and that we're like next level uh, organized, right? That we're all on the same page about, you know, uh, a lot of different social issues. In Star Trek, Does that make sense? is like Earth destroyed? Am I right? I don't 
think so, but that probably has uh, been a part of the story. Like, I am not a Star Trek. Like, yeah, I feel like nerd, really gross for like... not even knowing that. But I'm just like, oh, I don't even. No, know. they have rules. You're not allowed to interrupt in other, you know, uh, life forms if they're not exposed to the greater world. You don't. You can't interrupt that, and that's a that's a you know, prime directive kind of thing. And there's yeah, you know cool. these different uh, uh, things where the basically humans uh from earth have kind of like come to terms with so much of the uh tribalism issues and shit like that where we everybody like earth seems to be a, this peaceful place of you know n- nothing bad happens kind of thing right and everything yeah. else out in the universe is the unexplored uh you know thing where people are now coming together so like i don't know I always kind of appreciate that perspective because it allows us to, you know, exaggerate a little bit on oh, what yeah. our differences are and why. Especially considering that it's been around for so long. So, you know, it's great that that was being explored, you know, back when Star Trek came out because, I mean, I, I kind of get people trying to work on that subject now, but I, I really appreciate when people tackled it, you know, back when it was like raw and like back when those kinds of issues maybe weren't quite thought about the same way they are now by people who aren't marginalized. It's so interesting to me that, that how far we've come in, in, in a certain amount of time and that, uh, you know, even some of the most uh, conservative among us are more liberal than, than liberals were back in the fucking fifties. You know what I mean? Right. That's crazy. That is crazy. Right. Yeah, like uh, there's nobody around in America right now that's not a very small percentage extremist that thinks that different races can't get married. Although in the fucking 50s, there was a shit ton of people that thought that, you know, that was a mainstream belief. Right, right. Which is like, that was really recent. And I mean, still, but still like mixed racial couples can go to a lot of places and they still get that shit. Um, exactly. Is it called no, it's the not, Green Book. It's the not Green eliminated. Book? Yeah. Is that um what it's called? The Green Book that helped. That was a movie. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, I it was an actual publication. Oh, you're talking about something the movie was based on. What's basically? The Green Book? It was an actual publication that was essentially like a travel guide for African American families or mixed racial couples like moving across the country. I only know this shit because of NPR. Like oh, I am not woke wow. by any means. But Oh um, no, NPR has taught me a lot. Right. So it's really, really that. interesting. And it's just like, holy shit, I never would have thought that if you were, you know, an African American couple with your fucking kids just traveling to another state to go visit family or go to the beach, that like you couldn't just stop anywhere. You could be shot. It's like holy yeah. shit. Like how much like ah, oh, I just feel so fucking privileged to have not had to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And sure. um it's I mean it's like a huge I think it's super important that there's documentaries coming out about it and there's books being written about the green book so that people, you know, like who haven't had to deal with that can understand like some of that fear of like just mm-hmm. doing something as simple as driving across the country is like fucking it, it it's putting your life in your hands and taking your family and putting them into danger. It's just, it's amazing for me to consider that I've, that so many things in my life have been that much easier. I feel like I haven't had an easy life. And then I look back and I'm like, wow, I didn't have to deal with that. I didn't have to deal with that. I, you know what I mean? Like recognizing your privileges is, is a, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, this the most typical like straight white cis guy or whatever. Actually realizing that that shit is real, and it's like, oh, that's very humbling. It's very humbling to recognize that I didn't get as far just because of my talent. You know what I mean? Oh no, absolutely. Like, you know, and even though I am like, I'm not, I am, I am half Hispanic. Like, I, I don't look it. I, I didn't grow up with the culture as much as I wish I did. So, like, I haven't had to experience a lot of the, you know, the racism and the issues that stem from that. Especially being in Ohio, we don't have a lot of the issues that they have closer to the border. And, um, I mean, yeah, I, I, same thing for me. I'm like, shit, my life was fucking hard. Like, you know, I've been in and out of, I've been institutionalized. I, I lost my father at a young age. Like I've dealt with lots of mental health issues, losing family and all kinds of shit. But I'm just like, I never had to worry about getting in the car with my family and driving to Florida, you know, <laughs> like I never had yeah. to worry about our safety. Right, right, right. I didn't have to worry that if a cop came to my house that they might you know, shoot my dad or me or something because they thought we were an intruder. Yeah. It's just there's so much shit that it's like, fuck. And I, I think yeah. the more that we can do to educate ourselves about it, the better allies we can be for that kind of shit. Yeah. Like, you know, I talk about, you know, there's a lot of things being uh, gay that, you know, a lot of issues with that too that you have to deal with. But, you know, I feel privileged in that too, where I, I'm female presenting, you know, I, I am bi, I am poly, but I, I did marry a man, so I don't have to deal with a lot of shit. And it can be really, it can be really hard to remember that something really simple for you might be a huge deal for someone else. So, yeah. yeah. I just think, I just like it when people kind of approach everything with as much openness and empathy as they can so that they don't make too big of an ass to themselves <laughs> because it's okay if you make an yeah. ass of yourself if you redeem yourself or if you you know if you genuinely were ignorant about it i guess yeah genuine ignorance can be forgiven um there's a certain number of times that can go for you know that's what fair. i mean that's fair well i mean right. yeah you can't like keep doing the same shit over <laughs> and over again but i wouldn't call that genuine yeah. ignorance at that point that's just like you're refusing to acknowledge something yeah i mean i mean genuine ignorance can be stubborn as fuck like i've seen it firsthand in myself <laughs> <laughs> oh me too absolutely you know like yeah. i i fucking grew up in upper middle class suburbs like I've got plenty of that. Can you tell me a time when your mind was uh, just, you had a moment, like a kind of an epiphany and your mind was just changed on a subject and why? <sighs> like a, like a come to moment. So I have, I guess I have two examples. Um, one is quicker to tell. So I'll say this. Um, I grew up with, a pretty wealthy family and I am definitely not in that tier as an adult. <laughs> so like, it's been different for me, but like when I started dating my husband now, Dave, like I remember going to his parents' house and just being shocked because it was in like, not a great neighborhood, tiny little house, like to me, not a great neighborhood because I saw it that way. And I was just, holy shit. <laughs> like it was a huge thing for me. And I remember I lived there with them for like three months or something in between apartments. And my brother came to help us move to our new apartment. And he said he was going to turn around because he was afraid of the area and he didn't know where he was. 
and I was like, oh yeah, no, this is where they live. And it's just like, now I live down the street, you know, <laughs> like, it's just, it's like my whole perspective of like areas I've been is completely different having just taken the time to actually be in those places. So that's, that's one. I think, um, I think the biggest one growing up is like kind of one of those racial innocence things that you don't realize. I was like probably seven or so. And my best friends, there's like three brothers that live down the street and we were all running around and playing. And I remember there was a roadkill. I think it was like a raccoon in the road. And we all would just go and look at it and laugh and be like, Oh, that's so crazy. And like, we'd laugh if a car hit it. Cause you know, we're fucking kids. And um, <laughs> there was this girl who lived across the street and she was uh, probably like a preteen or something like my brother's age. Um, and she saw us pointing and laughing at this raccoon and she thought that we were pointing and laughing at her. And she marched over to us, yelled at us, called us racist and all this shit. And I was just like, wow, what a mean, mean girl. Like what is wrong with her? You know, I didn't understand what she thought we were doing. And yeah. I remember going home and telling my dad what happened and he got really mad at me. And he was like, cause I called her the mean girl and he told me, you know, he thought that I was being racist too. And I had to explain like, no, no, I, we were like completely misunderstood. And, and then he explained to me why it was an issue. And I was just like, Oh shit. You know, <laughs> like that was probably one of two wow. black families in our entire, like, on our entire street and like three or four little white kids are just laughing and you think you're laughing at you. And I remember that was like, I got to be careful, you know, what I do and what I say. And I can't, I don't want people to assume the worst of me. So that was a big, that was a big lesson. Mm -hmm. I think that was one that stuck. I mean, obviously it stuck with me my whole life. Yeah. Those moments where you just all of a sudden see things differently are just oh, yeah. so huge. Absolutely. Such a key. Such a key. Wow. Holy shit. I am uh, I'm pretty <laughs> fucked up now. <laughs> Have you been drinking more during the pandemic? <sighs> no. No, I haven't. I fucking wish. But honestly, I am. Uh, yeah. I don't. I can't have a babysitter. Because I have to be with, like, I have to self-isolate with my family. So I'm a mom 24-7. So I'm afraid to get drunk. Um, I think I got drunk once during this pandemic so far. Oh, um, I have been drinking. See, I'm a drunk 24-7. Yeah, no, and it's definitely, <laughs> it's a huge release for me. If I didn't have a kid, I would not be coping right now. Like, I would just be fucking wine drunk by noon every day. And, like, it would be bad. But, um no, I haven't been that much, and I fucking wish I was. I'm drinking right now, but, like, I've drank maybe a third of a bottle of wine, and I'm like, whoa, I should stop. <laughs> like, I gotta, I gotta go put Slow my kid down. to bed. And... <laughs> Slow down, Nat. I'm, yeah. I guess I'm growing up. Natalie's growing up. <laughs> God damn it. So, so I can totally trust your... your your instincts on yeah oh absolutely with yeah with fervor i love it um i think that the real threat is yet to come and i think you're right in thinking that it's uh it's gonna be trump's it's trump's vision trumpocalypse zombie yes. deer edition <laughs> ah evolution <laughs> it is it is an evolution it's amazing 
it just gets oh, better absolutely. every time and it's just always right it's always right uh well fuck it thank you so much it has been so oh, much, been fun, so to much, talk so to much you. fun i always love talking to you well you are you a too man gem, have a good night okay? all right all right you too i am going to uh go and uh socially distance <laughs> myself away yeah maybe maybe i'll be crazy and corner. finish this wine we'll see <laughs> Yeah. yeah Have good. a good let's one, man. Hang in there. <laughs> All right. Bye. Good talk. I'll talk to you later. Bye. This program is produced by Lampshade Media. Hosted by Mel Milliman. Music by Tyson Shipman. Graphic design by Griffin Browning. Social media by Sam Welch. Voiceover by Ryan Branch. And a special thank you to our sponsors, Paddy Wagon Food, Platform Brewing Company and the garden.